You're now listening to the River Claremont Podcast. So, uh, so lately I've been watching like uh, documentaries about history. I've always been I've always been fascinated with history stuff, old things and and stuff like that. And I don't know if you guys re- have been following, but in the um, archaeological world, there's excitement right now that they might have found Cleopatra's tomb. And so it's been buried for many years, you know, the whole rumor, the whole, probably most people don't even follow these things, but it's pretty exciting (laughs) because if they do discover it, who knows, it's pretty awesome, the treasures and stuff, the understanding and just the whole history behind it. So I'm going to read a scripture to you guys and that, that plays into kind of what, it's interesting that I was like following along with that and I was reading this scripture um, a while back and something stood out to me that I want to share with everybody and then it'll just set up the message. So if you've got your Bibles, turn me in Isaiah chapter 60. Now hopefully um, if you have the version app, turn to the Amplified Classic because that's what I'm going to be reading out of, the AMPC version. AMPC. That's me in the morning. Amen. The rest of you, well, you'll catch it later. The AMPC. Coming to you live. It says, Arise from depression and prostration in which circumstances have kept you. Rise to a new life. Shine. Be radiant with the glory of the Lord, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and dense darkness all peoples. But the Lord shall rise upon you, O Jerusalem, and His glory shall be seen on you. And nations shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about you and see... They all gather themselves together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be carried and nursed in the arms. Then you shall see and be radiant, and your heart shall thrill and tremble with joy at the glorious deliverance and be enlarged. Oh, this is where we get the Grinch story from. Amen. If you come to the Lord, your heart can grow two sizes that day. Amen. Because the abundant wealth of the Dead Sea, say this with me, say abundant wealth of the Dead Sea shall be turned unto you and unto you shall the nations come with their treasures. A multitude of camels from the eastern trading tribes shall cover you, Jerusalem, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all the men from Sheba who once came to trade shall come bringing gold and frankincense and proclaiming the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you as the eastern pastoral tribes join the trading tribes. The rams of whatever shall minister to you. That's tongues in the scripture, amen. Maybe, anyways. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar and my glorious house I will glorify. Isaiah lived in the year of around 740 B.C. is when he wrote this. So... Many, many, many years ago, Isaiah prophesied, and it's interesting, there's a few things he prophesied. Number one, he prophesied about people coming from the east carrying gold and frankincense. What happened when Jesus was born? People traveled from the east, 
and brought gold and frankincense to Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. If you really follow what he's declaring right now, he is talking about the birth of Jesus Christ coming to mankind and everybody will reap from the benefits of the light that comes from Israel, which is the Son of God. Amen. So that's the Christmas side of it. The interesting side of it is 740 B.C., the Dead Sea was known as the Dead Sea because it was dead. Right? There was not life in it, the salt content, anybody that follows it. There's nothing that can even live in it except for a very minute amount of bacteria. No living creature, nothing. It represented a place of death, hence it was called the Dead Sea. Yet Isaiah prophesied that the wealth of the Dead Sea would arise from them. And now in modern days, we actually know there is extreme wealth in the Dead Sea, that literally billions of dollars have been made from selling the salt just of the Dead Sea. Isn't that crazy? So 700 years before Cleopatra, and Cleopatra comes in the story because historically speaking, the first person to get permits to build spas on the coast of the Dead Sea was the Queen Cleopatra. In the year of 70 B.C., Spas were built on the coast of the Dead Sea under the reign of Queen Cleopatra because she believed that the water had mystical healing powers. So 650 years after Isaiah prophesied about the wealth coming from the Dead Sea, the wealth started to flow from the Dead Sea and is still flowing today. What does that have to do with my message, keep the dream alive? In this room, I promise you, I was thinking, actual fact, of Pastor Joe and I, when we walked uh, D.C. during the insurrection. <laughs> we missed it all because we were hungry and got a sandwich. Really feel, really feel like we missed out. Amen. If we had just not been hungry, we would have been right there and te got tear gas and everything. It would have been great. Actually, I did get tear gas, but. Um, anyways, when we were up there, you know, there was a lot of prophetic words about the nation, a lot of things declared over this nation. Many people distinctly prophesied Trump would be the next president. Of course, we all follow along and, and now we actually have, uh, legal proof Twitter did contaminate the elections. Anybody been following that? Now we didn't need you to reveal that to us. We actually already knew that, but now we actually have documents that can hold up in a court of law. And that's interesting. Isn't it? Even anyways, well, I'm not going to get political, but ultimately there is evident proof now that Michelle Obama herself was one of the major proponents calling for the total suspension of President Trump's Twitter account while Jack Dorsey, the CEO, was on vacation. That's when they permanently submitted, so, uh, took away the president of the United States Twitter account. It's crazy. So there's legal documents now that we can actually hold or documents we can take to a legal court to prove these types of things. But all the prophets and everything that went on, see where people fail to catch the things of God is, when God declares something, oftentimes we think it's got to happen immediately. If you had seen Isaiah, if you'd heard him say the wealth of the Dead Sea, you'd have thought he was absolutely a lunatic for 650 years. But he was not a lunatic because he spoke by the, by the, by the, the, the unction of the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm stirring that within you because I want to remind you today of the prophetic words that were given to you from the Lord 
to resurrect those dreams, arise and let the glory of God shine upon them because no power on earth has the power to hold back what God has ordained for you to walk in. And if you believe that, I want you to shout amen right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, may we walk into a season of the prophetic unctions of God coming swiftly to pass. Lord, nothing will hinder what you desire to do in us in Jesus' mighty name. Many years ago, I was in a service. And when I was in Bible college, I used to always tell people, you know, it was like everybody would get cool prophetic words but me. I mean, it was like almost obvious where people would not. There was literally one time that a prophet walked up and he was like you and his finger was kind of crooked. I'm just, tell, I'm just being honest. And I thought he was pointing at me. And I was like, my face lit up. And I was like, yes. And he literally said, no, not you. And pushed me. It was like you, the person. And I was like, that's just wrong. No, not you. Get out of the way. He's talking to the dude behind you. That's brutal. Everybody's got a prophetic word, and I'm like in Bible school, like, what am I even doing here? It's pretty obvious I'm not supposed to be here. I'm always in trouble with the dean. This is just awful. But then one service came, and it was a prophet from Addis Abba, Ethiopia. It was a man of God that literally was known that he fasted for many, 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 many days to the point where he almost died. Because he told the Lord, you have to give me a key to shake Ethiopia. And you've got to break this nation open with the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting when the Lord called me in the ministry, he didn't say, I want you to go and, and build big churches. He didn't say anything. He gave me two things. He said, Caleb, I want you to go and get the church ready. He didn't even tell me what to get the church ready for. I'm supposed to figure that out. Are you ready? Amen. Apparently, we've got to be ready for anything. Jesus. He said, get the church ready. And he said, contend for the supernatural. Do you know of all the things that come against this ministry, it is almost always the biggest attack is how much we lean into the Holy Spirit. But there's a reason because people would love to mentally understand God, but they back off of the Holy Spirit because you can't control the Spirit of God. But what this world needs is not man's theology. What this world needs is a genuine move of God with signs and wonders that shake the nations of the world. And I'm sitting in the service. My heart is on fire for God. I love Him with all of my heart. I'm pressing in. And this prophet calls me out. It's like the only, one of the few times in my life. Since then, I've gotten more prophetic words. But this guy that literally was known, his ministry exploded because he called someone uh, out of a wheelchair that fell to the ground, collapsed in the service when he let go of them and died. So now he just made things worse. So now he had to pick up a dead body. It's a true story. It's not funny. I don't know why you're laughing. You laughed and then I laughed and now I look back. No, I'm just joking. Serious, people. I mean, this is like you need a miracle right now. You know what I'm saying? So he picked Awkward. I went to the service, crippled, and I left dead. I would say over and all, it wasn't a good day. 
picked it. It's not funny. He picked the he picked the person up, and I mean, he commanded life into this person. Let go, and they fell to the ground. Picked them back up, commanded life, and this woman breath came back into her. Supernatural strength shot through her body, and she began leaping, walking, and leaping, and praising God. So his ministry exploded in Ethiopia. At the time he called me out, his church was running, I believe he said, fifty to 60,000 people. They were meeting literally like seven days a week, a massive crowd, just services that were five, six hours long. You know, in America, we need a 90-minute, is it like pushing it? And when people get hungry for God, they don't look at their clock anymore. Because especially if something awesome is happening, when a dead body is being raised from the dead, rejoice and you know, declare the Lord is alive. So this guy calls me out and he says, you know, you have a heart for God. You have a hunger for God. You've asked the Lord these things and he nailed it. Always, I've always seen the true prophetic that, that the Lord will reveal things to him that nail it so that you know this is coming from the Lord. He said, these are the things that you've asked God for. Number one, you've asked the Lord that he would give you a greater gifting in flowing in the words of knowledge and, and, and understanding with people. And I've always, that's been my cry because I think that it unlocks people for the wonders of God. Yeah. That if you can call them out and you can tell them, this is where you were two days ago, this is what you saw, boy, then now they're listening. Yeah. And he's like, the Lord's going to increase that upon your life. And he said, then the Lord, this is what he said. He said, then the Lord is going to give you a miracle. That will be talked about for one year, no five years, no ten years, all across the nation of America. That miracle will catapult you into the fullness of the calling of God on your life. That has been many years ago. And to this day, it's like sometimes that thing drifts away and I'm like, obviously, Lord, you know, maybe that was just a really good feel good moment. Anybody ever had moments when the Lord spoke out to you and you felt good? But then you're like, will that ever come to pass? When I read this from Isaiah and I recognized the fact that God prophesied it hundreds of years before, it began to stir within me to realize, man, may the day of the prophetic unctions of God come swiftly to pass across the nations of the world. Because I know I'm not the only one that God has prophesied something to, that I'm believing to, holding on to, and sometimes almost let the thing die. So my voice to you today says... Keep the dream alive in Jesus' mighty name. In the Bible, John chapter 11, verse 1, it says, There was a man named Lazarus that was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume at the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. And when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God may receive glory from this. Now I read this today to remind you of this, that Lazarus actually did die. So Jesus spoke out, this sickness will not end in death, but it didn't mean that death wasn't a part of the story. And there are times as we're believing God for something, believing God for something, believing God for something, to the point that we almost feel like it is definitely too far gone. 
I'm never going to see this person set free. I'm never going to see this part of my ministry. I'm never going to see this return in my marriage. I'm never going to see this to the point where it's like every glimmer seems to die. But I want to remind you today that when Jesus says it won't end in death, even if death is a part of the story, it is not the ending of the story because he will resurrect the very thing and bring it back to full circle. Our God is a God of resurrection. Our God is a, bring, a God that brings the dead things back to life. Our God is a God that does the impossible, not on Sundays in a crowd, but every day of the week. Our God is doing the incredible, the unstoppable, and the impossible. I promise you there is never a day that goes by that the miraculous power of God is not being seen somewhere on planet earth. Today, dead people will come back to life. Today, blind eyes will see. Today, deaf ears will hear. Today, people bound up will be set free. Every day of the week, God does something miraculous. It's who He is. It's what He does. He is a specialist in the impossible. And you just got to believe it. Paul gave a charge to Timothy in the Word after he had been pastoring for a while. <laughs> Jesus. After you've pastored a while, you need a charge from the man of God. Amen. And he charged him and he said, Timothy, be instant in season and out of season. I want to speak to you today along these lines about keeping the dream alive, that in my life I have had moments that it's like everything is clicking right. I mean, it is so obvious, favors upon you. This thing, the moment you think it, it shifts everything and you just feel like you're moving full-blown ahead, unhindered because God is on your side. It is a great place to be. Anybody testify to that? And then there's times, my Lord, when it feels like if it, I mean, everything around you, you're declaring the goodness, the blessing, the favor, but this happens, that happens, this happens, this declines, this force comes against you. Everything that you're believing for feels like the furthest away from what you're ever going to have. And Paul actually wrote to him, he said, in those, be instant, whether you're in your in season or you're out of season. The word instant, the be ready, is actually the same word to stand in Ephesians. To stand. And when you've done all you can do but stand, stand therefore on the word of God. That even when you feel like it is the out of season for you, you don't give up and you don't quit because guess what? Your due season is coming around the corner. The de the de we spend a while on spiritual warfare. The devil's number one tactic is to attack you so mercilessly for a season that it makes you give up on what you're believing God for. But guess what? His season will come to an end. And the season of the promises of God will be upon every single person that believes it. For nothing is impossible for those who believe. If you believe it, shout amen. amen. I declare that even over this nation. You better get ready, America, because God has not finished writing the story of this great land. You can interfere with this, you can interfere with that, you can release that, you can confuse that, but guess what? There is a move of God mightier than anything that any political army, any plan, or any strategic strategy of a media company can destroy. My God is bigger. Amen. And I will stand and say it from every rooftop. Get ready. Because I believe that the churches of America are going to experience a glorious revival. 
I believe signs and wonders are coming back to America. I believe a land that people have said so often it is the hardest place to get a miracle is going to turn overnight, that God is going to be moving in the churches of America with miracle signs and wonders, that preachers are going to get a backbone, that they're going to stand with the fire of the Holy Ghost, they're going to stand against wickedness, they're going to stand against demonic agendas, and they're going to release the glory of God upon this generation one more time. And though they might seem small in number right now, get ready because it only takes one person to break through for an army to come behind them. And I feel the tension in the spiritual realm right now. I fear the devil is terrified because the day of resurrection is upon the body of Christ. Get ready, get ready, get ready, and don't let the dream die because it's coming to pass in Jesus' name. I feel fire shut up in my bones. Jesus. Be ready, church. Be ready in season and out of season. Let me tell you, the devil doesn't have the right, nor the power, nor the resources to dictate what season you're in. That's held in the hands of God. And all he's looking for is a person that will not lose heart. Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary while doing well good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. It's time to dream big again. I think that God is not finished with extended revivals. I believe we're going to see it. In the 90s, Benny Hinn's church in America, in Orlando, just right here, in central Florida, a 3 p.m. service would have people lined up around the building for blocks because the presence of God was real. It wasn't about Benny Hinn. It was about the fact that the glory of God was so strong in the place. That people said within themselves, if I can just get in the building, I will be made whole. It's the same presence, the same expectation, and we have got to cultivate that, that heart of wild, childlike faith once again. God is not finished with America. The day of extended revivals is coming back to this place. It's not where you planned it on social media. You don't have a video that you worked months on to promote it. There's no advertisement necessary. There was no advertisement sent out on the day of Pentecost. There was no flyers. There was no knocking on doors. There was just a move of God so powerful that a crowd was drawn to it to see what the Lord was doing. Get ready because that's coming. And may it come upon the river church in Jesus' mighty name. Losing heart is when you give up. Losing heart is when you lose that zeal. When you lose that childlike expectation where the mind begins to win the battle and explain, them, well, that, that's so long ago. That, that word is dead and gone. Or look at the evidence and stop fooling yourself. It's too late. It is never too late. That's what Martha, that's what Mary all thought, that it's too late now. Had you just come earlier, then it would have been well. But it's for the glory of God. That do not lose heart like a child, but keep that expectation that God is about to do something. And I can't let go of this thing, and I will not lose heart. And though my soul may be weary, though my body may be older, though it seems like I can't see it even in my spirit eye 
I remind myself that God is not finished. That the promises of God are yes and amen over my life and over this generation. And I see the handwriting on the wall and I realize, though the devil has tried his best, it is all smoke and mirrors because he is not allowed to beat my God. Or the church that would stand, the gates of hell will not prevail against. Losing heart is when you lose the expectation held within the spirit of man. You know, when I first got saved, you know, I never, I didn't even plan to go to college. I didn't plan ministry. I didn't plan. I, when I got saved, I was like, what's the point of earning money? What's the point of going to work? What's the point? Jesus is coming. No, I mean, I was like 19, 20 years old, and I'm like, I don't need to do anything with my life because he's coming swiftly, and I just want to be ready when he gets here. And then the time goes on. You're still alive. You're 40. Your kid's checking out of kids' churches the last year. My giant on the end will be in kids' church, towering over every other kid. You're like, what is happening, God? I thought you would have returned by now. I remember sitting, talking with people about, I'll never get married. Never going to have kids. I'll never get married because Jesus is coming back. And you know what's crazy? One day that will happen. There will be a young generation that arises that never taste of marriage. They'll walk into the streets of gold and they will never have to go through bankruptcy. They'll never have to go through mortgages. They'll never sign the dotted line for 30 years. And it's like in the waiting. How often do you think that anybody resurrected that word from Isaiah for 600 years? Do you think that people were walking to the shores of the Dead Sea, casting rocks into it, saying, how do I get the wealth out of you? trying to hold their breath and dive to the bottom to see if there's some treasure hidden in dark places? It's like because we're trying to figure it out, we're trying to do this. Do you think that anybody did or do you think it was so long gone that maybe everybody basically lost the glimmer of hope, but it still did not negate the word of the Lord? Come on, somebody. And that's where you have to remind yourself, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, come on, even though my hair is thinner, my waist is thicker, my voice is deeper, when I go sledding, I hurt for three days, what is that, what is that even about, God? <laughs> That's not even right, you go play paintball, and, and all the staff limp in the next day, it was great, <laughs> had a wonderful time. How do we get here, Lord? Though the outward man perishes, the inward man is renewed day by day. Amen. That even though the flesh begins to weaken, even though the soul begins to get weary, that the spirit can access the spirit of God and be refreshed and renewed each and every day. As a child of God, you've got to live in the spirit and not in the soulless in the fleshly realm. The fleshly realm is where every evidence and every attack and every accusation of hell is best at. But in the spirit, there is no access to that. Your spirit's connected to Christ. 
And when we walk by the Spirit, we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When we walk by the Spirit, we do not dwell on the deathly things around us. We we do not lose heart. We do not lose steam. We do not lose expectation. We do not lose youth in the Spirit. Come on. Because when He says, I will renew your, your youth like an eagle. That's in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Come on, somebody. So in the Spirit, you can meet people in their 90s that still have a fire twinkling before their eyes because they're not living in the natural. They're living in the things to come. And God is not finished with this nation yet. And it may happen in my life, and it may be happening in the life to come. But guess what? May I always be a proponent to speak to the people of God. Get ready because God is going to do something great. Our light affliction, it says which is but for a moment. That's how Scripture sums up a life on earth. This light affliction, which is but for a moment. Every problem you've ever wanted to complain about, the Scripture just basically brushes it off with, it's a light affliction. Grow up, get over it, move on. No, you don't understand. (laughs) Pastor Caleb, you don't understand. It's not light affliction. I wear the affliction t-shirts every day to remind me of the burden that I carry. (laughs) Great is my burden. Yours is light, but great is mine. I realized something. Literally, basically, we all walk around and actually, actually all think that. We actually all think our life is harder than others. It's like you watch reality TV. We we watch MasterChef just because I made homemade pasta the first time the other day because... Watching, it's pretty, pretty, pretty fire. I'm pretty proud of myself. I'm growing up, you know what I'm saying? It's like using the pasta machine, sprinkling it, salt bay style, rolling it out, putting the, you know, egg washing it. Who even knew about an egg wash? I know now. I'm growing up. It's just signs of the revival that is to come. Because if I can make homemade pasta, I can do anything. But listening to the, to the people on there, and you hear their stories, and I began to realize, as I heard every one of them, they actually all truly think that they're the ones that had to overcome the most to get there. And it's a human condition that we all feel like. But Scripture actually says everything you go through, this momentary light affliction, that's what it calls. It's nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. It's nothing compared to that, the reality of the spirit realm. It's nothing compared to the wonders of where you're headed. It is nothing compared to anything that God has prepared for you to walk in. Come on, somebody. I'm not living for this world. I'm living for the world to come. And my job on this world is not just to wait. It's to cost heaven to come to earth. Come on, somebody. And then it says this. It is far more exceeding which is but for a moment, it is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are but temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Do keep the dream alive. How do you keep the dream alive? Well, just one thing is you cannot look at everything just in the natural. You cannot just start looking at everything and drift away from the promises of God. You've got to stay in that place where you're looking to the impossible, the invisible realm. You know, I I had the great delight to meet Oral Roberts, a man of great faith, you could say. 
that if you've ever read his story, he was sick as a kid. On his deathbed, I believe he was 17 years old, and he was brought to a meeting where the presence of God came upon him and supernaturally healed him. He was miraculously healed, 17-year-old basketball star. The power of God redeemed and delivered him from the sickness. And the Lord spoke to him and said, I've called you to bring my healing power to the nations of the world. This is how his ministry was birthed when he was 17 years old. I got a chance to meet him. Actually, he did lay hands on me. He did pray over me. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. I don't have to go to his grave to try and lay on it. Amen. I actually met him when he was alive. No, I only say that to pick on people because they do that. But Oral Roberts, when I was sitting with him, I was actually in Oral Roberts University. I was at the university during the change, the exchange of it being taken from the hands of his son, Richard Roberts, and put into the hands of another leadership. Obviously, the, the guy that owns Hobby Lobby purchased the university, basically. And there was an exchange of leadership. It was traumatic on the, on, on the, on the grounds of the university. It went from being a university that they spoke in tongues during chapel because they were a spirit-filled university to they removed tongues entirely from the chapel, took it out of the services because of the differences in the exchange of the leadership that were no longer proponents of the spirit-filled church. Amen. It's amazing how many people want to remove tongues from the church. And so it's a gift from God. If you got it, don't let anybody steal it from you. Amen. If you don't have it, ask for it till you get it. Amen. And don't be ashamed of anything God gives you. If God gave it to you, it's a good gift. Amen. And so I watched it all happen. I was in school there during that. But as I sat with Oral Roberts, he was talking about the fact, and it's even written in one of his books, that this university, that this old place, this university was built at, used to be a cow pasture. It was in the middle of the outskirts of Tulsa because it's far from downtown. There was nothing out there but a cow pasture and cow lands. And Oral Roberts would walk out onto the land and take Richard, his young boy, and walk on a pasture dodging cow manure saying that, can you see it, son? That over there we're going to have this building. Over there I see the high rise of a hospital system being built. We're going to call it the city of faith. And he was walking in a field where there was nothing around for miles declaring by faith, this is what the Lord will do. And Richard actually talks about that oftentimes to himself growing up saying, my dad would take me around and he'd say, do you see it? And he said, I would never see it. I couldn't see what my dad saw, but now everybody in the world can see what my dad saw. Because it just takes one person full of faith to hold the dream within their heart and never let the lies of hell or the flesh dominate them and tell them it's not going to happen. But to stand the course of time and say, God can do this. God wouldn't show me this. God wouldn't give me this. He wouldn't put this desire in my heart as a temptation. He will put it there if he intends to bring this thing to pass. And if you are believing God for something big, I want you to shout the biggest amen right now. Because I am speaking to your spirit to rekindle the flame. Stir up that wild expectation. Maybe you've never had that encounter with God where it's like, man, I know something crazy exciting is about to happen in my life. If you've never had that, then you've got to stir up the hunger of God and you've got to run after him until you get it. But God is a God of encounter. God is a God that shows up. 
God is a God that will meet you between a rock and a hard place. Just ask Jacob and give you a vision of the angels ascending and descending. He will wrestle with you till the midnight hour to ensure that something supernatural is placed in your life. The seen versus the unseen realm. Or Roberts went on to write a book, If you can see the invisible, you can do the impossible. I remember when I was dating Kirsten, we were young, on fire for God. I went to Bible college. I never knew anything about ministry. She was raised in ministry. Entirely two different worlds we came from. I can tell you every cheap beer company that exists because that's what I was raised in. And she can tell you moves of God that date back to the early 1980s. She knows all these things. I know Bud Light, Miller Light, Natural Light, <laughs> Bush Light. Paps Blue Ribbon. I even know about Southpaw. That was my world. But then I met Jesus. I met the Lord. <laughs> and everything changed. I remember being 20 years old in Nashville, Tennessee. Never went to Bible school. Didn't know anything really other than God set me free of drugs and alcohol. I'm on my, I, I was so excited about Jesus. And we were in a prayer service, and people are praying in the Holy Ghost. People are dancing before the Lord. People are running. I mean, it was like wild, you know what I'm saying, like a real prayer service. Not like where we all hold hands and sing kumbaya. People doing warfare in the corner, and you don't even know what they're doing, you know. They're weird, but let them be weird in the Lord. And I remember being 20 years old, and I said to God, I said, Lord, I'm so hungry to know you. And I was. I mean, you're, you've changed my world. And like what we sang today, I want to see your face. I was like, Lord, let me see your face. 20 years old, crying out in Nashville, Tennessee in the Lord's Chapel. And I'll never forget this moment as long as I remain on this earth. Before there was ever a passion of the Christ, before they ever brought it to, to film and ever displayed what Christ looked like as best as they could according to Scripture, I asked the Lord to show me his face and boom, in my spirit, the Lord was standing before me, but he stood before me with his body just mangled, blood flowing down his face, his face torn apart, his eye hanging this way, his whole body torn, and it instantly, I screamed out in the prayer service. I was like, ah! I was not prepared for that. What I was saying is, Lord, show me this. I was, you, you must look like a barbarian warrior with paint and just, ah! And he showed me himself in his brokenness. And I, mean, I cried out, and then I just sat there and wept for an hour. I was like, God, I'm the one that did that to you. It's me. It's everything I've done. That's all the, that was the wages of the way I lived that you endured so that I don't have to live that way anymore. You took that burden from me. You took those lashes for me. You broke the curse of hell. You broke the curse of sin. You set me free. And so God, if you're going to do all that for me, don't let it just be for salvation. But let me do something for you in return, God. Use me, Lord. I may be the last one you're ever going to choose. My words may fall short. May I, my actions may be weak. But God, use me in my weakness and use me however you can. I didn't know about ministry. I didn't have a calling. I didn't even really know about Bible college. But I'm 20 years old crying out, God, if there's any way you can use me, use me. Now I start dating the senior pastor's daughter. And everybody's like, this is a match not made in heaven. 
No, I was the one always in trouble, and she's the darling child. Why would she ever see anything in this lunatic? I was, didn't have a lot of money. Didn't even know about ministry. Didn't have a name. Didn't even have an understanding of ministry etiquette. You know what I'm saying? I went to church and did everything wrong. I was always the one called aside to be talking about, you know, when, you, when this is happening, this is what you're supposed to do. <laughs> always. I was like, I tried my hardest and screwed up every time. You know, when it says don't sit on it, it means don't sit on it. <laughs> Why did you sit on it? I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't see the don't sit sign. I have a weird streak. I recognize that. One time I, I saw empty chairs in the sanctuary. It's a big sanctuary. I don't know why I do these things, but I thought it would be a great idea to scream like an Indian and run across the chairs. <laughs> and you know, like at this time you're 22. It's like you are supposed to be a young adult. And I take off across the chairs because it's empty. And I was like, I mean, I'm a little retard. And I'm running. I'm like halfway across the chairs, and I'm running. And I look over, and all the pastoral staff of the church were in the sanctuary. Literally every one of them were having a meeting. And then out of nowhere, I'm like, I was like, and you're halfway across a big room. You want to talk about wanting to disappear? Like, dear Lord Jesus, take me right now. Take me. Take me. <laughs> Beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> if there was ever a time for lightning to strike, I would welcome it right now. I calmly waved, stepped down, turned and walked out of the sanctuary, and awaited the call. We're going to need to see you up in the office again, you know where. You're well familiar with it. I don't know why, I mean, I don't know why. I did that. It's like that moment, like, I wish I had a reason. Because you know that's what they're going to ask. What, 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 did the Lord tell you to do that? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Was there a dream? Nope. Did you feel you were breaking open the heavenlies? Nope. My thought process stopped at, I could run across these chairs and scream like an Indian. That's as far as I got before I was doing it. Sounded like a fun time. I was having fun until I saw you. I can't honestly say that. Once I saw you, the fun left. But here I am, showing up. I'll never forget this moment because in a service, the presence of God filled the room like a cloud. And you could hear people around the place. When the presence of God fills a room, 
there's like a blanket of peace. And there's all these manifestations that happen. People begin to laugh. People begin to cry. People begin to wail. People fall on their faces in quiet. But there's like a unity and a blanket of peace that comes. There's nobody, there's no one thing that dominates what's happening around you. What dominates is the sense and the awareness, the awe of the person of Jesus being in the place with you. And people around the place crying, screaming, falling, whatever was happening was like a heavenly blanket hit the place. And there I was just sitting probably about the chair. I mean, really in the same area that I did the, the run. <laughs> sitting there and all of a sudden, boom. Faces began to flash before my eyes. I mean, it was like boom, 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 boom. All these faces. And I was like, God, what are you showing me? What are these? Who are these people? And the Lord spoke to me. I was, I was 22. He said, these are people that one day you will pastor. He said, they're alive right now, and I want you to pray for them already. They don't know you, and you don't know them, but they're alive right now, and they need me. And I remember I would just pray. And there's so many times that when I go to pray, the Lord gives me. It's like every time I go to pray, boom, a face will come up, and I'm just praying in the Spirit. I don't know why. I don't, sometimes the Lord gives me things. Other times I'm just praying in the Spirit, interceding ministering and that was that was the call basically that's all i had i didn't have there was definitely never a person that came and said thus says the lord one day you will pastor this you will do this you will do that that i can remember afterwards people have said yeah this person recognized it that person recognized it i guess there was one lady that on a prayer service came and gave me a shepherd's cane on a porch in nashville and said you're gonna be a shepherd but she was a little weird so i blocked it out Looking back now, she might have been on to something. I'm just saying. I share too much. <laughs> and I remember when me and Kirsten were dating, we would sit and I would talk about that. And this was actually before I was fully committed to ministry. I was still at this place of, am I called to ministry? Am I called to business? Because I didn't feel I possessed the talents or the skill set for ministry. I was actually terrified of public speaking. I was so scared to public speak that I was like, I will never, ever have a public ministry. Nope. Find anybody else. I don't want to stand in front of people. That was never my desire. And so I couldn't sing. I couldn't do this. So basically, I, like I said, like I'm going through, I eliminated myself through the soulless and the fleshly realm because I can't see what he can see and you can't see what he can see unless you get in the spirit and then you let him reveal to you the things he wants you to see amen God can do anything if you would just believe it amen and so I remember I would sit there but by the spirit because when you talk, see, that's why speaking and, and kindling dreams is so important. People lose the sight of imagination that flows from you. When you just begin to dream and you just begin to talk and things come from your mouth and as you're declaring it and as you're speaking, it's like it's forming a picture within you. God gave mankind the power of vision. There is a difference between sight and vision. He gave us the power of vision, of imagination, to see those things which are not and declare and describe and speak to those things. Animals can't do that. There's no living creature on earth that could declare the things to come. They can't look at a field and say, a high rise will appear. 
They can't look at a blank canvas and say, this is what's going to come on this canvas. They can't look at a mound of coal or, or clay and say, this is what I will form. But man possesses that within them. And that's a gift from God. That you can see things no one else can yet see. And if you would lock eyes into it and you would see it and you would speak over it and you would declare it and you would stay refreshed and do not lose heart. Then in due season you shall reap, the Lord says. It will come to pass. It will come to pass. We do not look at those things which are seen, but we look at those things which are not seen. Declaring the unseen world to be a reality in our lives. Declaring the things that we sense deep within ourselves that this will come to pass in Jesus' mighty name. Describing it, and the more you describe it, the more you speak it, the more you, you build it with your words. It's like the vision takes shape and the steps begin to be ordered. And the Lord begins to give you step number one. I would sit with Kirsten and say, I'm going to pastor. And she'd say, we're not going to pastor. I don't want to pastor. But I kept speaking, kept speaking. And then the Lord calls me. I'm living in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, medical IT recruiter. And the Lord, I mean, it's in my heart. It's time to go. It's time to run. It's time to do it. And my wife calls and says, you're right. It's time to go. And the Lord released us. And at that moment, I didn't see what I see now. But God can do anything if you would just say yes each and every day. Hebrews 10, 32 through 36. I'm closing with this. Recall the former days in which after you were illuminated. This is talking about salvation. You endured a great struggle with sufferings. See, that's the enemy's tactic. You get radically saved. When you're radically saved, you're on fire for God. Everything spectacular is going to happen. After you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, see, we get saved. We're on fire. Then the world comes against us. Contend for the supernatural, the Lord told me. When the Lord told me that, I thought everybody in the church world absolutely wanted to see the miraculous power of God. Who would ever not want to see a miracle? Who would ever not want to see God heal someone? Who would ever not want to see these things? And then you start leading and you realize how many people come against you for daring to say God could do something. They want to shut you down. They want to push you in a box. They want to remove the Holy Spirit. They want you to speak to them at a head level only. But our God doesn't deal with us at a head level only. Amen. You'll never be able to understand God with your head anyways. You have a three pound brain. Do you think a three-pound brain made of mush can understand the glory of God? Absolutely not. It says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. You have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Last week when we closed out spiritual warfare, there was something that the Lord had me say that I want to recall back. And, and then if I could get someone on the keys right now. It was that never go into a battle without expecting a reward. You see, when the Lord uses us, when the Lord uses His church, when God moves through you, you will have many battles that come along the way. There will be struggles that come against your physical body sometimes. 
I've met great healing evangelists that struggled with sickness in their own body. I tell you, things will come against your mind. People that can preach the word of faith, that can lay it out so, so tense, so gloriously, but within their own minds, the, the struggles, the bombardment of hell to come against their mind. These things come. They come. It's a battle. But if you're going to be in a battle, which you are going to be in a battle, come on somebody, because you were born in this world and the devil hates you. He hates freedom. He hates salvation. He hates life. He hates joy. He hates peace. He hates goodness. He does everything he can to set himself against it. You're going to be in a battle, but if you're going to be in a battle, let it be for the rewards of heaven, not just to try and hold my ground. In other words, let your spirit within you say, where I am today is not where I will remain. I will continue to push ahead. And I've served the Lord long enough to know that when you really look at your life in, in short seasons, it feels like, what is it all for? Where am I going? Everything's stacked against me. Am I getting anywhere? But if you would just broaden your look back to the wonders of God and see what God has wrote for you, and see the handiwork of God in your life, and see the faithfulness He has shown you in the years past. That's what we look to, not to a week, not to a month, not to a hard year. But we look back to the faithfulness of God, and we look back to the years before, the revivals of time gone past, and we remind ourselves the same God is the same God that I serve today. I will not lose heart. And if I'm going to go in a battle, and if I'm going to have to fight these thoughts, these attacks on my body, these financial things, or if we're going to fight this in this nation, the craziness, the insanity, the confusion, it will be for a reward. That everything the devil wants to take, he's got to repay sevenfold. That every attack he's done on my family, he's going to turn around and cough up seven more families. That everything he puts me through, there will be a reward attached to it because I serve a God that will reward those that diligently seek him. The promises of God are yes and amen. Keep the dream alive, church. Stir within you the wild expectation. God needs an army of people rising up all across the nations of the world right now saying we will not lose heart. You can put whoever you want in a White House. You can put whoever you want as a president of a nation. But we're, our king is greater than that president. And that's the kingdom that we bring. And everywhere the sole of our foot treads, God will give it unto us. If you believe it, shout amen today. Thanks for listening to River Claremont's podcast. We pray you were greatly blessed by this message. If you'd like to keep up to date with what's happening at the River Claremont Church, visit us at riverclaremont.com.